Good morning. I, uh, I actually have trouble not getting emotional every time I, I watch that music video. Uh, before we have the conversation that, that we're going to have this morning, we have to take seriously the impact that our words and actions have on the people around us. In, in a world that grows increasingly individualistic, we sometimes don't realize that when we're dealing with our own stuff, what the trickle-down effect is on the, on the person beside us or on the person across the conversation from us. And, uh, and when we look around at the church, when we look around at the Christian movement at large, one of the greatest liabilities that we have from people looking in from the outside and saying, well, I want nothing to do with these folks is because of the words and the things that they do toward one another. So we're going to talk this morning uh, about something, and I was thankful that, that Tim was willing to give me some flexibility here uh, to talk about just something that I'm really passionate about uh, within our church, within the Christian movement at large, within the way that we live the way of Jesus outwardly in the world around us, as it relates to conflict. We, uh, as much as we want to do good and speak life in every single way, there's going to be times when you fight, right? Has, uh, just, just take a moment and think about the last time that you felt like you had a conflict with somebody. If, if you have children in the house, then you only have to think about this morning. Uh, I have three, and uh, I am quite aware of the power of words, or the, lacks, the lack of power of words sometimes. Do you not hear what I'm saying to you? Uh, but just, just think about that, and think about the way that you felt. We will fight, but I think for Christ followers, learning how to fight well might be one of the greatest things that we could ever do in God's kingdom. We want to talk about what fighting well looks like and, uh, and what the things are that, that maybe we can learn from, from Jesus, and specifically how to deal with conflict within the, the Christian community, within the, the body of faith, within the people that are nearby to you, with your family, with your friends, with your church, people whom you are close to and yet may have conflict. Uh, what are the things that, uh, that bring you into conflict with, some, with somebody? There's, there's probably three main things that bring us into conflict with someone. One, the first thing is disagreeing about something, right? You just don't agree uh, mentally about a choice, a decision, a way of something. The, the second uh, reason that conflict comes about is that you're, you're hurt by something that someone does or someone says, right? So, so you fight about something because you disagree, or you fight about something because you're hurt by, by something that somebody does. Or the, the third thing is that you feel the need to approach someone about something that needs to be addressed. That's often the third reason that we enter into a conflict is because, well, I need to talk with this person about this. So someone hurt me, or I see something that needs to be addressed, or we disagree. So those are the reasons that we tend to fight, right? How do we tend to deal with the conflicts? Two ways. The first way that we tend to deal with conflicts is aggressively. So how many of you have ever had an aggressive encounter? You don't have to say if you're the one who was the aggressor or if you were on the receiving end, but uh, a conflict that you would say, well, it was, it was a rather aggressive one. It was, it was loud. It was very passionate. You felt blood pressure start to rise. How many of you have been involved in conflicts like that? Okay, so we have 
70% of people to tell the truth. Okay. Um, just kidding. And then the other, the other way is to deal with conflict is what we call passive aggressive. We're really, really good at that, and it's, it's pretty much what it sounds like, right? Um, to be passive aggressive is to feel the same things that the aggressive people feel, but you just take a different approach in how you handle it. So we use other means to deal with the stress that comes from trying to get along with people, uh, whether that's taking to Facebook, whether that is talking about somebody behind their back but never addressing with it, those people, whether it is going out and chopping wood for a really long time, uh, whatever the case might be, um, or, or just like secretly in your mind, like wishing really nasty stuff on the person that you can't stand, or, or whatever, the, whatever the case might be, we have all these passive-aggressive ways of dealing with conflict. Interestingly, the Jesus way is neither of those. But what that conflict often does when we're um, both aggressive or passive-aggressive in a world that is increasingly polarized, yeah? What that does is it, is it leads us to the understanding that our only option is separation. If I don't agree with you, if I have conflict with you, then what I do is I just write you off. It's over. We, we've seen the, the fact that we have commitment issues. I'm not just talking about relationships. I'm talking about commitment to people. Um, it happens. And sometimes it may be almost unavoidable. The, the scriptures tell us to do as much as it depends on us to live at peace. And sometimes it doesn't depend on us. But you can see how many relationships, and many of you probably have issues in your own family where you're not speaking maybe with a family member because of something that went down at some point. Um, but often these disagreements lead to separation. And, uh, and I, I do think that, um, that that's not God's heart and intent. Uh, we see it all over the place. The problem is that that's not reconciliation. It hinders us from depth in relationships, and it's simply not how people, specifically the church, are supposed to function. Ephesians 4 is kind of where we're going to jump off of this, uh, this week. And Ephesians 4, Paul is talking to a church that's actually doing pretty well. Uh, the church in Ephesus is one of the the healthier church plants that we read about in the New Testament. And so Paul's been coaching them. And here's what he says in Ephesians 4. He tells them to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The, the thing I want you to look at for a moment there is the last part of the second verse where Paul says, bear with one another in love. The word that is used for bear with one another um, is found like 11 other times in the scriptures. And uh, it's, it's this um, kind of heady, heady Greek word, anekonomenoi. Uh, and, and what it means almost every other time is learning how to put up and tolerate. So this is like the nicest time that we get it in, in the scriptures. All the other times are when Jesus is like getting frustrated with his disciples. Did you know that? Jesus got frustrated with his disciples. They were pretty boneheaded most of the time. And, and there are times when Jesus is like, oh, how long do I have to put up with you guys thinking this way? Um, that's, the, that's the exact same word as what Paul says. Hey, part of your job as the church is to learn to put up with each other. You've got to learn to tolerate each other's junk because guess what? You're going to disagree. You're going to fight. You're going to get on each other's nerves. That's something that happens naturally when you share life together. And the way of the church has always been to share life with one another. And so the, the whole concept of what Paul's saying here, and in uh, 
in the New Living Version, um, New Living Translation, uh, I, I like the way that it's, that it's put, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. But, but so this lays a foundational understanding that as we begin to deal with conflict, the ways that Christians do this ought to be with an understanding of saying, so before we start this, you agree to put up with me and I agree to put up with you. Deal? Unfortunately, this is not the most common way that we start conversations, especially conflicts. And so what ends up happening is we, we start with the understanding that, hey, if this doesn't go right, we're done. I'm out. Right? I'll leave the church, I'll find new friends, I'll um, call it quits on this relationship. But Jesus seems to give us a different approach. That being said, how does Jesus want us to fight? I've been thinking a lot about this, and I, I think it's fairly simple, regardless of the type of conflict. Um, here's what I think. I think the Jesus way of handling conflict deals with two things. It starts with my humility, and it moves toward your humanity. So that's our catchphrase for the morning. So if you're going to take anything away, the Jesus way of dealing with conflict starts with my humility, and it moves toward your humanity. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Um, let's, let's talk about my humility. It's easy to immediately focus on, on others in moments of uh, conflict, isn't it? In Matthew 7, uh, Jesus speaks... Uh, specifically about this, this idea. And he's talking about judging one another. But then he says this. He says, uh, when you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in your... Or why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Jesus challenges us when our attitude is to fix another person. Do you have that temptation ever? Try to fix people? Just me? We have this tendency to think quickly and notice quickly everybody else's faults around us in a way that actually makes it difficult for us to be actually helpful. Uh, we have to be aware of how painful it is to remove splinters. My wife and I embrace probably more or less something called free-range parenting. Uh, at least that's what we like to call it. Uh, our kids have a lot of freedom. Uh, they enjoy life barefoot about six months out of the year. And, uh, and so what that means uh, when you get a lot of freedom is that you have accidents that happen. And, and one of the things that we get is we get splinters in our house. Uh, and we get splinters in the feet a lot. My son Judah is six years old, and about a year and a half ago, he got his first really bad splinter. And I love taking out splinters. It's, so it's morbid, right? But I'm, I'm totally into it. So he's got a splinter. I'm like, oh, bring it here. You know, I get my, my headlamp out and my tweezers and my, my needle, and I'm like, I'll get to work. I'll get that, I'll get that sucker. So, so we, uh, <laughs> we, he, he comes inside, and he's all freaking out, because I got a splinter, I got a splinter. And he sees the needle when I say, I'll help you, no problem. This is not going to hurt much, right? It's not going to hurt me at all. Uh, and so, so Judah lays down, and we get the light out and everything, and, and I, start, I start digging at this thing, and he flips out before I actually even touch it. Just knowing, just the fear combined with, with the pain, 
of what he's experiencing just a little bit is absolutely terrifying. So I spend like the next 45 minutes just trying to wrestle him down. I still have not actually touched his foot with the needle, right? And so, so we have this enormous, enormous thing. And, and finally, uh, we had to call it quits, and, and my wife came in, and, and she did it because I had uh, I kind of burnt that bridge. Uh, I think I was a little aggressive. I was not passive aggressive in this situation. Uh, so, so we... I was reflecting on that afterwards, and I was just thinking about how easy it is. I love to be like the splinter savior, right? I, it, 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 it's very easy for me to remove somebody else's splinter. And it's very difficult for me to remember what a four-year-old or a five-year-old's experience with fear and pain combined is like. And it's very difficult sometimes for us to lead with humility in the conversations that we're in. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying here is that one of the fascinating things at the end, he doesn't say you should never be a part of helping to resolve a conflict or helping to um, correct somebody even when they're out of line or when they're struggling or when there's something that you can do. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. So what he says is, listen, if you don't have the humility to understand your own brokenness, then you're not going to be able to see clearly to actually be helpful. So, so there's this idea that a lack of humility hinders our vision about what's really going on. And, and this, this is so prevalent because we are just people that, for the most part, we are just not self-aware. Christians ought to be the most self-aware people in the world because we're constantly asking, like David asked in Psalm 139, God, search my heart. Know me. See what the anxiety is, the anxiety is in me. See which ways are leading me off and lead, lead me in the full path. Um, when we focus on fixing other people by recognizing all the things that are wrong with them, we ignore the important piece, and that's the fact that we have issues that God needs to address within us. Conflict must start with surgery on our own hearts before anything else. When we feel that temperature rise, when we feel like there's something that's amiss in a relationship or when we're angry about something or when we need to talk about something or when we've been hurt, the first thing Jesus tells us to do is be aware and search our own hearts so that what we can do is actually see with a clear enough mind and a clear enough heart to be able to help the situation and not hurt it. Because right now when we're, when we're working out of our own hurt, it's like we're half blind. It's like we've got some giant log in our eye compared to this tiny little splinter. Isn't it interesting how Jesus uses hyperbole there? It's fascinating. So we have to start with our humility and move from there. When we do that, um, we have to address that our pride plays a major role in, in conflict most of the time. That, that that's just a constant battle that we must come to grips with. Um, pride, as, uh, as Jesus said, is a, is a disease, <laughs> That blinds us. So if we think about that kind of a thing, we say, okay, I want to lead with humility. I want to start with my humility. I want to acknowledge the areas of pride that are in my life. And then I want to go. And then I want to move toward second part, the, w- the Jesus way of dealing with conf- conflict. We start with our humility and we move toward their humanity. So that's what we get to go to now. Uh, one of the things that happens in the midst of conflict is that we develop a caricature of other people. How many of you kind of feel like you might know what I'm talking about? In the middle of conflict, we develop a caricature of the other person, right? Okay, this is important. Uh, 
it makes it so much easier for us to criticize, to rip them apart, to not see things from their perspective. If we see other people as fully human, then we have to treat them as such, and that's a problem. Because we don't want to treat other people as fully human when we're conflicted with them, right? It's so much easier, but it's amazing what happens when we are confronted with someone's humanity. Take a look at this great idea that Jimmy Fallon had to confront someone's humanity with with people. Just take a look at this video. Uh, Tomorrow night, Robinson Cano, the former New York Yankee all-star second baseman, uh, returns to Yankee Stadium for the first time since he left for a 10-year, $240 million contract with the Seattle Mariners. Now, obviously, Cano's going to hear a a fair share of boos when he steps up to the plate tomorrow, and uh, well, that could be jarring for any player. So that's why, uh, to get him used to it, we sent Robinson Cano out to the streets of New York... (laughs) to get booed by actual Yankee fans. <laughs> but here's the catch. The fans thought they were just booing a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano. <laughs> they didn't realize that the real Robinson Cano was standing right behind it. <laughs> Their reactions are pretty great. Check it out. Hi, I'm Robinson Cano, and I'm about to get booed by some Yankees fan. Are you a Yankee fan? Yes. Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you going to boo him? Of course. All right, well, we have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo it as much as you want. Boo! You know what? You no longer welcome here. Bye. Try again. You no longer... <laughs> oh, I do. Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time mm-hmm. since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you, are you going to boo him? I am going to boo the out of him. Well, uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Give him your best boo. Boo! You suck! That was awesome. Maybe try, try it again. Should I try it again? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Robbie? Welcome back to New York. Thank you. Back, right? Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> are you going to boo him? Uh, you know, he won a World Series ring here, but he did leave for the money, so... Why don't you go ahead and give him as many boos as you want? Come on, Robinson. I mean, how many World Series titles do the Mariners have? Oh, come on, boo! You're better than that. You got a, a beard now? You're better than that. Boo! Boo. Welcome back to New York. Thank you. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo! You should go home, boo! Try booing him one more time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How you doing? Are you going to boo him? Yes, I am. Boo. All right. Well, we actually have this picture of him right behind you. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo him as much as you want. Boo, Robinson. You should have stayed here. When is this in New York? Not in Seattle. Try booing him one more time. Boo. Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Go ahead and boo him as much as you want. Boo. Boo. Whoa. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for the boo. Yeah, well, I, 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 I won't boot you. I won't boo you. I won't actually boo you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for you to uh, play well, but not win. Are you going to boo him? Absolutely. All right, well, whenever you're ready, go ahead and uh, boo him for as long as you want. Right here? Yep. Boo! Boo! Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. Oh, 
How you doing? <laughs> Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. <laughs> That's weird. Only in New York. Only in New York. I swear. <laughs> this is it, right? I mean, what, this, this is what we do. Right? We create two-dimensional versions of people that when we're in the midst of conflict, we, we set up something that can be knocked down so easily. We set up a cardboard cutout of someone, and we, we immediately put our emotions and our time and our energy into seeing them as two-dimensional. But what happens is that when we choose to see people as three-dimensional, people who have humanity given to them, who have the spark of God and who are created in the image of God, it requires a change in how we do that. Jesus gave us a special method for how we can make sure that we cross that border and cross that boundary, and it was to pray for our enemies. Because there's something that happens when we begin to do that, and what happens is that, and we're going to dive into it in just a second, but grace starts to creep into the picture because when we actually pray for the good of someone, we are confronted with their humanity. I don't know if you caught in the video But there's this giant building, and I have no idea what building it is. I couldn't find it. But there's this giant building, and all you can see is the word grace every single time that the person uh, actually meets Robinson Crusoe. Cano, right, thanks. I'm not a a Yankees fan or a Mariners fan. I'm not actually a baseball fan. Huge football fan, but not baseball. Uh, So, uh, but I did know that something was wrong with Robinson Crusoe. That wasn't right. I could figure that out. But, but there's this idea that grace plays such a significant part. Jesus says in Matthew 5, and this is the message's um, paraphrase, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. Dang it, Jesus, you're killing me here, right? It is so much easier to live in our own hurt and not see someone as fully human, not see someone else as created in God's image, not see someone else as a human being who has to deal with hurts in their own way, who has their own story that we might not be familiar with, or even if we are familiar with, we often don't give enough grace to their own experience with people who have hurt them, with what they've learned, with what they haven't learned, with ways that they are just naturally responsive to. And when we do that, When we do that, that's when things start to change. That's when we start to see that reconciliation isn't just possible, but it becomes the way that the world looks at the church and says, wow, that's how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to fight. Never seen fighting like that before. Never seen fighting where people choose to listen when they disagree, where they don't think that the end means parting ways. By the way, none of these things require that you win the argument. Bummer. Uh, Jesus is crafty. We have big enemies and little enemies, right? Uh, Sometimes my kids are definitely my enemies. (laughs) I love them dearly, but they definitely can play that role. Sometimes it's neighbors. Sometimes it's a friend who just sees something differently than you. But but these people creep up, and and in our hearts, we all of a sudden have this frustration or antagonism uh, toward them. And this is why loving your enemies is not just something that you consider like or halfway across the world, some country that the U.S. tells us we're at war with, right? That's not who our enemies are. Uh, 
Beautiful stuff happens when we pray. So that's first encouragement. Pray for people who you might be in conflict with. Uh, let's talk about some practical guidelines for how Christians ought to fight. Um, these are just, uh, we're just going to zip down through them because they can be really, really helpful. When you have to address a conflict, it's important that you choose the time and the place wisely. Uh, we're, we're called to speak the truth in love in the book of Ephesians, we're told. But that does not simply mean saying what's true anytime in any place. You can actually speak the truth and not have it be in a loving way. And you can speak the truth in the wrong time and not have it be loving either. And so choosing a time and place where you can actually honor somebody, like maybe not in front of an entire group or at a party where, where other people are listening in and somebody becomes very embarrassed, uh, choose the time and place in a way that does not Stack the deck in a power play favor. Um, address things immediately. This is really important. Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us, uh, gives the challenge to not let the sun go down on your anger. You might have heard that phrase before. Uh, addressing things immediately keeps you from choosing to create this laundry list to back up your argument, like many of us love to do. When we're in conflict, um, and this happens in, in marriages all the time, uh, when something happens that's not addressed, It'll come out eventually, and so uh, what happens is that if it doesn't come out right away, the time that it does come out, we've got like 50 other arguments to pack on, right? Because now we are ready to win. We've been practicing for this for weeks, right? My wife and I are coming up on 10 years in five days. Uh, on Thursday, our, uh, we'll celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and it's, it's wonderful. And we've learned that one of the things that keeps us healthy is to address things immediately. And we didn't do that that much at the beginning. We would kind of say, ah, it's not a big deal. Now we can say, hey, this wasn't a big deal, but I need to let you know that this kind of hurt when that happened. And we can address it, and it's not that huge of a deal. But if we wait two months, then it's 50 things, which adds to the next thing. Stick to the issue. Don't choose when you're actually having a conflict. Don't choose to try to bolster your argument so that you can win by bringing up other stuff and and being hurtful in, in that way. Um, the next thing, listen quickly, speak slowly. James talks about be someone who is, is quick to listen and slow to speak. Often when we're in conflict, because we are trying to win an argument, even if it's just a conversation, we're thinking more about how we can respond to something than what someone's actually saying to us. And what we do is we just talk past each other. You see it all over the place, right? Like, because our politics, everyone's just trying to win. So you see just talking past each other. Like, are you actually listening to each other? Are you, are you saying, oh, I understand what you're saying. Here's where I come out at. We don't have to be nearly as polarized as we are, and that's influenced our entire culture, and that's influenced the church. Uh, but we need to, to listen quickly and speak slowly. We need to release the results to Jesus. Once again, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. We should not have our goal being to fix everything or everybody in the world, okay? We are part of God's God's ongoing redemptive uh, rule and reign in the world. But we release the results to Jesus. Our job is to be faithful. Uh, And right along with that is to release the need to win. Uh, That's that's a big deal. I think so often um, we we think that the goal is actually to to win. Love, uh, 1 Peter 4 eight talks about love covering a multitude of sins. Jesus places love at a higher value than being right. So one of our, one of our values at Life Path at our church plant is that we desire to express love more than to be right. So if we disagree with somebody, we want them to know that we love them far more than we want them to know if we disagree. 
because we think that love actually covers a multitude of sins. And people, once they get loved, they sense a sense of belonging, and then life change starts to happen in really cool ways and beautiful ways. Plus, we don't have a corner on the truth either. We don't have it all figured out with what's, what's always right or wrong. We, we know that we just do our best to follow Jesus faithfully. And the last thing is speak with grace. This is, this is just a, a clear one and a simple one, but let your words be gracious. Give other people the benefit of the doubt instead of being accusatory when we approach these things. That's, uh, that's really crucial. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building up others according to their needs. <laughs> Speaking with grace changes both the what and the how of conflict. It changes what you're actually addressing, and it changes how you speak about it and address it. And address it. Uh, when we act on these things, when we begin uh, by practicing humility and then moving to recognizing someone's humanity, when that's our movement, when we understand the importance of love and prayer in conflict, when that's the direction that we are heading, we show by the power of the Holy Spirit that it is possible to live another way in this world. And so um, the beautiful thing that the church can show the world when they actually step into this is that we can show the world that it's possible to disagree without degrading. I love that. It's possible for us to disagree and still be brothers and sisters. It's possible for us to disagree and, and, and not say that you're, you're you know, not a full human being, that you're a jerk, that you're no longer a Christ follower because we have this issue that we can't see eye to eye on. That's ridiculous. We can disagree without degrading. Um, we can confront without combating we can actually have loving, trusting relationships where we can talk honestly about our experiences, um, even when that means that we, want to, that we need to confront something. Um, we can do that without uh, becoming combative, as long as we lead with humility. And we can be unified without being uniform. Uh, it's possible to actually be unified and not agree or believe everything exactly the same all of the time. Uh, <clears throat> we know really, really clearly that when Paul's call in Ephesians and Galatians and everywhere else with, when he had this huge theme of unity, Romans. When he's writing, he's talking to churches who express faith totally differently. Some of them were Gentile churches. Some of them were, were Jewish churches. But they were all Christians. And he was saying, be unified. Don't, don't focus on the things that you're different with because the thing that holds you together is Jesus. And so that's, that's what people will see and notice. So it's, a, it's possible to be unified and still have diversity. We have a ton of different church backgrounds and lack of backgrounds at LifePath. So we have people who have lousy Catholic backgrounds that they came out of. We have people who have never been to a church in the first 35 years of their life. We have people who um, had an Episcopal background, who had a really strong conservative Baptist background, who were charismatics. And so we have all these different roots. And if we don't have a gracious orthodoxy where we can have conversation about this stuff, we'd just be totally destroyed. We just could never make it if we weren't willing to talk and be unified without always being uniform. So... All this stuff, so, so here's, we're just going to wrap up here, and we want to have some, some time for discussion. Uh, it's really important that we take this seriously, because the way of the church and the image of the church in the world, which is called to be the body of Christ, is defined by how we do reconciliation. And this is all about reconciliation. Paul says that we've been given, as Christ followers, the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled with us. God has come to us to make peace with us and reveal his heart. And so our job gets to be to help be reconcilers in the world, to help make things right between us and one another, and to help make things right between others and God. And that is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. And I know you guys uh, practiced communion together, I believe, what, last week, two weeks ago? Uh, last week? And, uh, and that's one of the things that we practice, too, because there's such a centrality 
of what communion acknowledges. It acknowledges reconciliation. So much that in the early church, they said, if you've got like a fight happening, don't come and commit yourself to Jesus through communion. Go and fix the problem first, because otherwise you're lacking integrity, because this is all about reconciliation. So we get to live in that way too. All right, let's pray, and then we can have a, a conversation. God, give us the grace to when we are faced with conflict in any number of ways to start with our own humility and to move toward the other's humanity. Help us be people whose hearts beat for peace. Not peace in the shallow way, but peace in the right relationship between one another. Your shalom. Give us your grace. Help us see the things maybe that we can do this week to make peace, to deal with conflict in the Jesus way um, and to move forward in the strong and reconciling name and character of Jesus, we pray. Amen.